This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> are you leaving or are you on your way back home? Either way, we want to be there. Doesn't matter how much baggage you claim. Give us a time and date. Terminal and gate. We want to send you off in style. We want to welcome you back home. Tell us all about it. Were you scared or was it fine? Welcome to Do You Need a Ride? This is Chris Fairbanks. And this is Karen Kilgariff. Hello, my friend, Karen. Hello, Chris. How are you? Did you do anything today prior to this recording? I would like Just some business details. things? Business oh, things. Zoom calls, you know, nothing really that exciting or fun. Yeah. I, but I, thank you for asking. Of course. You know, it, I always want to give you the chance before I, uh, you know, steamroll it with my possible snooze fest of a story, but I think it's actually a good one. No, I think this one's good because I just saw it on Twitter. The Is it about the people sending you pictures from your old newspaper? No, but that's something, at least there's finally proof that they used to put my home address. Yes. I, I mean, could, that whole- Everything a kidnapper would need in the prime kidnapping time of the early 80s. Just so everyone, if you haven't heard, which I feel like we've talked about this 100 times, but yes. in his hometown newspaper as a child mm-hmm. in Missoula, Montana, many multiple times, times, multiple times, probably under the age of 12, there and several go. times it, from his memory when he would talk about it, he his full name would be in the newspaper and his address and his parents' names. And somebody actually found these pictures in like a newspaper, like, um, What's the word yeah. for it? Uh, Clipping. No, no. The, <laughs> the online um, library of newspapers. Microfiche. <laughs> I think, so, yeah, somehow they found it in some digitized, what I could not find, because I was told by the librarian that I would be searching for weeks if right. all I knew was it was 1980. So I was right. like, that's the, the juice ain't worth the squeeze. Right. Uh, but someone. But, but found a listener these. did it. Right. Did it instead. And I thought at this point, I thought I'd just been making up that I'm like, maybe I was wrong. Maybe my address wasn't put in there, but it's there. And it's amazing that I'm here today. It's amazing. Yeah. 
Great job. But also, this listener found four items from the newspaper. One was a picture of Chris as like a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old reading to an old lady at an old lady's home. I forgot about that one. Amazing and very touching. <laughs> there was a, a poem that Chris wrote very, that was really good. Uh, a lot a of mentions of blood. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> well, but I was it was about the color red. It yeah. was about the color red. I just kept reminding the reader, blood is red. Hey, it's what we're made of. Yeah. Then two pieces of art, one a little more on the juvenile side, yeah. and then one where you won an art contest, and it was an incredibly realistic drawing of some dog. A dog with a with a Santa hat. Precious. Yeah, it yeah, it it was nice to see it again. I I feel like as a kid, because I'm confronted about my achievements because I'm looking at our guest today and everything she's done. <laughs> And I was about to cancel. I was asked to sing with my friends in a punk band. And there's a lot of songs and it's one show and I have to learn all these songs and it's going to be a lot of work. And I was about to bow out or just say, hey, I'll do three or four of these songs. Someone else can sing the other one. But now I want to do it. Now I'm taking the challenge because our guest today has got... uh, her foot in so many doors, and one of them is she's just a singer in an indie rock band, just as a side thing. And I'm very <laughs> impressed. And I just was listening. It's very good. Like I would say, alt country. Nice. And so well, anyway. <laughs> I'm already influenced by today's guest. I'm going to go through with this possibly embarrassing punk rock concert. Great. All songs that I could barely enunciate quickly enough to keep, like Dead Kennedys. Uh, Buzzcocks, songs like that that I am not that familiar with. But I'm going to do it because Tawny has inspired me. Well, <laughs> Chris, you do it every time. You start the intro yeah, and then I you do. just stop doing it, the intro. I know. Do it? the intro. Okay. Well, <laughs> speaking of it. today's guest, we might as well <laughs> let her in. Because that's who we were actually talking <laughs> that's, about. Yeah. yeah? You, uh, clubs and colleges. No, I'm kidding. She is a... Uh, uh, <laughs> A, a well-known actor. She's in uh, a lot of shows that I love. She's in a band that I mentioned called Four Lost Souls. She's got multiple podcasts. She's a former rodeo champion. Landon <laughs> <laughs> here now for our guest today, Tawny Newsom. Thank you. I do want to set the record straight. I am a former rodeo future champion. That was yes. the ribbon that they gave us when we didn't have fast enough times to place. They called us future <laughs> champions. Is, oh, is it like that a, was kind of like everybody participated participation trophy? Well, hey, you can't you can't win <laughs> if you don't play. And I consider myself a winner just for showing up. Okay. Do you sure. ever wonder what your life would be like if you just continue? You didn't start, you didn't go to Chicago and start doing improv. You stuck with rodeo. Do you ever have dreams about oh, man. The, where you could have taken the rodeo circuit? I think I would have dominated and been the most <laughs> toxic bitch you've ever met. Yes. <laughs> can, yeah. can you imagine me, like the, just whatever the fuck I am, can you imagine that? <laughs> In rodeo, I would have like made it my mission to be the best, and I would yes. be horrible as a person. Well, because there is that kind, there's that piece of rodeo. I grew up a tiny bit around it 
because I was like in 4-H and stuff. And we did a lot of stuff at like the county fair. And so we saw, um, there was a lot of trick riders that you'd go to see with your family at night. And it it was like, I wanted to be a barrel racer between the ages of like eight and I didn't say 15. I mean, that seemed to be amazing. And the thing about especially female rodeo stars or rodeo people that stood out is like there was a beauty queen aspect. There was a, a serious... Um, not even athletic aspect. It's a thing like you're controlling a wild animal while catching another wild animal. You're doing all of it with like perfectly coiffed hair. Mm -hmm. And they're so, it's so great to watch, in my opinion, back before I had any awareness about what was, if the pets did or or the animals did or did not (laughs) like it. That wasn't really a part of it in the 80s. Sure. Um, and it just seemed so glamorous. And like, you would have to be evil, I think, oh, to rise to. to the top. Because not yeah. only are you the beauty queen, but the horse is also the beauty queen. And they <laughs> have to have perfectly coiffed hair. I remember one event I did, I, I was doing like color guard, which was like four girls on horses and you have flags and you do a whole thing. And we had to paint our horse's hooves and we all decided on the color and size of glitter that we were going to paint their hooves. And it was like a big discussion how sparkly it was going to be. And I think that's ultimately what took me out of all of it. Because I was like, wait, this doesn't feel like a fun, dusty sport in my backyard. This feels like a pageant. And that is creepy. Yeah, Yeah, a horse pageant. Oh, and they get no say in what color their hooves are going to be. No, Mm -hmm. they have thoughts and feelings. Come on. (laughs) And and style. They want to express themselves. Right? Nobody asked the horse. Ask the horse. I can see the power going as a rodeo person because you're also controlling a big, giant, muscular animal. Like oh, that yeah. would, yeah, that power would go to my head. Yeah, I have I have one little jump rope that controls a 1,500-pound beast and I make it do whatever it, <laughs> I want it to. Yes. That's insane. That's going to make you a supervillain. <laughs> and those barrel racers, like, they basically go around those barrels on a horse so close to the ground that it almost looks like motorcycle racing where they're, the whole thing is tilted to the side. Like, yeah. that is a seriously difficult, dangerous unbelievable, amazing thing to compete in. It's it's big. And as yeah. you round that barrel, you you have to try to not be distracted by the clown cowboy that pops up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I always wanted to do in the rodeo. I think we'd all, right now, we'd all make great rodeo clowns. I think that's the only... If I had to get back, gun to my head, had to get back into the biz, that's the only <laughs> yeah. position I want. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's... Wouldn't it be the most? I would rather be in the color guard, right? Because then you just you're only holding onto that flag with one hand, right? Oh no, you're doing choreography with the oh. flag. Yeah, you gotta do, and you gotta be in sync. And there's bitchy girls next to you right. who are mad. <laughs> it's very like travel soccer meets like the most rescue dog mom energy of all. Re- like a horse oh. is basically like the rescuest of rescue dogs. So it brings yes. out that kind of person. <laughs> It's it's a toxic world, and I miss it. Um, but I found my own new toxic world, and it's called comedy. So yeah, feel much more at home there. Comedy right? saved you, and there's little chance of <laughs> who being, saved who, you know? Yeah, and you, with comedy, you can't get gored. That's no. very true. Well, emotionally, you can. A bo- no. or, yeah. or a competitive yeah. flag girl next to you, she might poke you with her <laughs> stick. With That's her flag point. stick. With I her flag they're stick. Called. Yeah, verbal, I believe they're called. Verbal flag stick, yeah. Uh-huh. I found yeah. 
the best your glamour shot from I it, maybe it's for color guard, but you had the gold fringe. It's like oh the, my goodness, thank the you. most perfect photo. Yeah, I did a little. <laughs> thank Googling. you for calling it glamour. It is a oh, it's foggy on the edges. It's beautiful. It's very glam. Everything a glamour shot needs. Uh-huh. Well, Tana, can I just ask you, how did you get into rodeo? Like, where are you from, and what is that? What led you yeah. to it? Um, I grew up in Vacaville, California, which is you know I'm it. I'm from Petaluma. Yeah, I know you are. Moments away. Oh, man. We wanted to be as cool as Petaluma. We wanted to be like foggy (laughs) and mysterious. We were just hot and we had an onion festival. So it was not as cool. (laughs) Just everyday onions. (laughs) Just so many onions. We did have an outlet mall. No, but so Vacaville's kind of like a little, like, Vacaville's a little country. Even though it's close to the Bay Area, it's very like conservative. It's very, it's very horsey. So there was just like horse shit to be doing. My mom like (laughs) made a friend, you know, I feel like we were in that phase of like single mom and me, like she was like looking for hobbies all the time. So it was like karate for 10 minutes, clarinet for a second. Maybe we're really into aquariums right now. Okay. Now horses. Um, And I just started taking lessons and, you know, we were what I like to call horse poor, which means you always kind of like had this community of people who were trading animals around based on who could afford to feed them at the time. Mm-hmm. So we, we weren't really like buying a lot of like horses. We were more just like, oh, well, you know, Audrey can't take care of Jay anymore. So you're going to get to ride Jay for a while. So then I just kind of learned and was not great. Hence the future champion of it all. But... <laughs> Developed a real affection for the animals. They're sweet, yeah. sweet animals. It would be hard to ride uh, Jay for a little while, and then you got to take the horse back and remove all the polish on its hooves and because <laughs> you want to yeah. have your own horse. Yeah, you got to strip the varnish off when you give the horse back, yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you always got to strip the horse. It's called uh, not... Uh, you ride rode all day and hung up wet. That's a, yeah, uh-huh. It's a varnish reference. A lot yep. of people don't know that. <laughs> I actually, when I was like, I think about seven or eight, because my aunt and uncle who lived next door had a very small farm. And so there was a one evening where my mom was particularly tired from work and I almost convinced her to get to let me have a horse because Ooh. my aunt had the acreage and it was the same thing where like we were in 4-H, so there was, it would have been, not hard to acquire, yeah. although I had no concept of the how truly expensive. I mean, like, it's just it's next level. How it's next yeah. level. And my c- cousin Stevie, my who was like five years older than me, he was like a champion dressage rider. Ooh. So I was like, well, I'll just start doing what Stevie's doing. He can teach me. And like, the I don't know how, However I did it, I almost, she was like actually considering it in front of me, which I knew meant we were way further down the decision chain. Like, you know, when you start learning how to really manipulate your mom and you're just like, oh, I've almost got her here. This Uh is amazing. You're like, it's going to teach me to be so responsible. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, coming out with bullshit where it's just like, of course I'll take care of it every day. I'm already doing blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I, right as I watched her almost say yes, I was like, this is insane. She's listening to me. Like I, I came into this awareness of like, I can actually make her do stuff that I want to do. Yeah. But then ultimately she, the next day, you know, somehow my dad got in the conversation. Yeah. Was hell no. She came to her senses or she watched you like say you were going to vacuum for two weeks straight and then not do it. And she was like, yes. this child cannot have a horse. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. Cause they're also, you have to know, uh, 
it's not a casual animal to have no, or the least raise or casual it. animal. Maybe yeah. maybe crocodile, maybe, <laughs> but like after that, I think it's horse for <laughs> most maintenance, least yeah. casual. A, a horse is semi-formal at all times. Cocktail the semi-formal at all times. Zero cash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> real. But yeah, like with, uh, with crocodiles, there's a whole lifestyle that you have oh. to adhere to. Crocodiles are black tie for sure. For sure. You got to wear those, uh, saf- a safari type hat. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the tension never goes down. Like you're never. just always scared. Always scared. Just always on high alert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I find it amazing because I grew up in Montana and all of Montana is fairly rural. And I always had access to horses. And I never once sat on a horse until I moved to Los Angeles and was talked into <laughs> taking polo lessons. Oh, interesting. Uh, and these horses are so well-trained that, and I'm terrible on a horse. I know for how, because of how sore I was for days, like I, <laughs> I couldn't walk. But I swung the mallet. I think I've talked about this before. And I, I missed the ball and I hit the horse <gasps> in the chin. And uh-huh. the horse was like, <sighs> and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And I swear he said something to the effect of, it's okay, it happens all the time. <laughs> And then he kicked the ball for me as if to be like, oh, you did that. Good job, sir. Good job. Yeah, yeah it, knew, it knew it was dealing with amateurs, but I felt so bad. Yeah. I, and I never, I haven't been on a horse since. I've been on a horse. The idea of the horse kicking the ball for you out kicking of pity is so hilarious. I missed the ball and the horse kicked it with his back foot and was like, oh, yeah, we're doing it now. And I'm like, you He's- did that for me. Because see, that horse knows that all of these lessons are 90 minutes long. And like the the sooner he can just keep you moving, keep you happy, keep you from doing yeah. something weird, the yeah. easier yes. it is for him. Yeah, he was making it easy on himself. God, I, I hope that horse really did accept my apology. I think so. I think most of them do. You're you're a true cowboy <laughs> the day that you know a horse accepted your apology. I, yeah. I've always said that. Yep. <laughs> It's a code. It's a code amongst us. Do you feel like um, your experience in the rodeo has informed your later career in comedy? Like, do you think that you learned any lessons in er- your mm. early rodeo? Because I would say that would be like first pass of show business. That's about a show business. I mean, I mentioned the headshots. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're right. Taught it's- me to take a a banging headshot. Um, <laughs> just a real ripper of a <laughs> fuzzy edged picture. Yeah, um, it is a uh, good one. Probably helped me uh, navigate, you know, uh, toxic climber types. I definitely mm. think that you know that was my first taste of because I didn't play any other like sport. I didn't do any other like really activities uh, other than like drama club and my, my drama people were pretty chill. So. This probably was my first taste of like, oh, hierarchy and, you know, that sort yeah. of social thing that I... And competition. Yeah, yeah, like it's deeply competitive. Yeah, right? So that probably trained me for improvisers. Yeah, <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> well, and also I would think just anything having to do with horses, it's money, money, money. So it, it truly yes. is like that being aware of the thing that you're... Most of us are raised of like ultimately you have to be a good person. And it's like, well, then why is the rich girl who's not a good person in charge socially of what we're doing? Like, yeah. yeah. And there became a little bit of a weird thing too, where we were exchanging work a lot of times for lessons. 
So I was like doing, I was trading, like, you know, working in our trainer's stalls and stuff like that. So I was like taking care of her horse and then she was teaching me. So the dynamic just gets weird because you're like not on the same footing as everyone else. And ultimately just it, it became too expensive and my heart wasn't super in it. So I think my mom was like, this is a lot. We're going to we're gonna move to town now and not have to wake up at 5 a.m. every day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. So early. Yeah. I don't know why horses so want to eat early. so early. They should try intermittent <laughs> fasting or something. It's yeah. very annoying. They and they don't, if you don't feed them, they'll like kick their stall door down or whatever. Like, well, yeah, I took care freak of- freak out. Yeah, I took care of our neighbor's horses and it. I was in fifth grade, I think, or either fourth or fifth grade. I can't remember, but- it was a full-time, it was like a full-time job. I had to go in the morning and I had to go in the evening and walk two horses that had just been sitting in these stalls, feed them, walk them, and clean their stalls out. And it sucked so, it was so much work that eventually yeah. I was just like, what What am I doing this for? Yeah, I think it gave me yeah. a real aversion to chores, which is not <laughs> not great to be like an adult <laughs> woman now and not enjoying chores, but... <laughs> I did the like my share of them, I feel like, in like 1998. So I don't yeah. want to do anymore. Mm-mm. What is the event called? And I did, I have vague memories of doing this, but me and four grown men chased a baby. Was it a sheep? And I held a bucket <laughs> and they tried to milk the sheep. And I just was crying. I was crying because I was horrified and I felt bad. The animal was screaming, but I held a bucket <laughs> and they shot milk into it. And uh, and then I remember we we did not win. That's what is that event? <laughs> what I don't is that know. horrifying event? I don't know. I know so many white things, and I don't know what that is. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I really like. I really know a lot of white things. You could ask me about Star Trek. You could ask me about Talking Heads, and I'll go deep. But I don't know what this sheep milk bucket shit is. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was. I. It's just was an exercise in me learning to say no. I think is what that oh, was. That's good. Uh, I that sounds never. like a county, some sort of county fair event. It was not a main event. It was after the kids on <laughs> yeah. sheep. It was one of the, sure. And then you you tackle, and there was a guy that lassoed the sheep's legs, and the sheep did not enjoy it. No. And then to add insult to injury, we started yanking on that sweet animal's udders. And oh and I, I just want to apologize not only to that horse, but to that sheep if you're listening. Yeah, they can't. I'm very they sorry. They can't hear you. You no, don't think we have any sheep listeners? <laughs> well, you never know. You not might. that one. <laughs> not the one that matters. The, not the one that needs to hear it. When were you in a Talking Heads tribute band? Or oh, How long did that last? Just just make that jump. I gotta talk. I gotta talk about it on every podcast I do. I got to. Um, I was get the word out. Get the word. People gotta know. Um, I did that from um, maybe like 2010 to 2012 or something like that. Um, But they were uh, some friends of mine in Chicago who have a lot of different bands. But at the time, they were doing a Talking Heads tribute, and they needed an extra singer to come and be. Good old Lynn Mabry and their Stop Making Sense recreation. <laughs> and we did it. And it was super fun. So we like recreated yeah. the whole thing with like the lights and the costumes. And it was a dream. So yeah, kind of toured around with them for a while. Learned all the songs. Is Chicago how you got connected with uh, For Lost Souls, that band? Yeah. So that was, so I was doing a play uh, based on the music and writing of um, John Langford, who's a founding member of UK band The Mekons. And I did this like two-person play 
And it was weird and strange, but John would like come to the rehearsals. And so then John and I became friends from that. And then I just started working with him on his solo records. And uh, I think it was after I moved to LA, he started working with another close friend of mine who I've made a lot of music with, Bethany Thomas. And they, uh, we got invited to go down to Muscle Shoals, Alabama and record down there. So we just kind of like compiled, I don't know, it's like composites. All these bands are just sort of like composites of the same people, different, you know, uh, or organizations, orders of the same folks just rearranged. And then you put out a record and you tour behind it a little bit and then you reshuffle and start over. Are all those people in that band in LA or do you have to travel to play with them? No, they're all in Chicago, but we also like don't rehearse. We just kind of like, we get together when we're going to record and, you know, we play some gigs and we work out some demos kind of remotely. But I mean, John's been doing it so long and I, I've i never really known him to be one to rehearse much of anything. So <laughs> yeah, we all just kind of, we just kind of figure it out in the studio, which is a, a luxury for sure. Yeah. I, and also the Mekons are such a legendary band. I'm sure he has an audience that shows up and supports no matter what, right? Oh, yeah. That saying, like, I'd watch someone read the phone book. Like, I think I've literally seen Langford read part of a phone book. Like, he <laughs> he was the uh, officiant at my wedding. And <laughs> oh, wow. I told him, you know, my husband and I were like, we want a short ceremony. We don't want much. And he's, you know, he's one of my best friends. And so I was like, you know us well, just say whatever. It was like, we want like eight minutes long. So he literally, I, I don't think he planned a single bullet point or item to say <laughs> at all. And when he got done, our one of our guitarists, Jim Elkington, came up to us and was like, that was a very good ceremony. But John, it felt like you had street names, but no house numbers. <laughs> <laughs> that became my favorite term for like, you're just kind of winging it. Like, you know where you are, but... Not, not, not super specific. Just driving. You keep driving down the same street, going yeah. back up. You're like, is it on block. Elder? Is it on Elder or Ash? <laughs> yeah. That is so cool that you are in that band, and it's just one of your side projects. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be. It doesn't pay enough to be the main project, you know. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being in a band, I feel like every musician I know, no matter how famous they are, they're like, this is a hobby. Yeah, God, these days, especially unless there's some, you guys got to get on TikTok and get one of those TikTok songs going. Oh my God, I feel, I already feel like I'm made of dust. I feel 6,000 years old. <laughs> Every time I post a TikTok, I'm like, is this what you want, children? <laughs> Don't know. Yeah. You guys on it? Breakthrough? <laughs> I, yet barely. I just post old things, like I'm trying to get one started, but I, I no, I look at yeah. it once a week. I look at it, but I don't post anything. I don't I don't care to be a part of it. I'm just an audience <laughs> member, essentially. I, I like the and way you thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care to do be it. part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to watch what all these wonderful, brilliant people are doing and saying to each other. And yeah. Uh I think it's a really good version of social media. The ver the version yeah. at least that I'm seeing on my Me too. in my algorithm in my feed. But um I just don't yeah, I'm as like you said, I, I feel too old and I'm not trying to like, like Chris, Chris, you know, like here's my stand-up comedy. You can come and see different pieces of it. You can also share it with your friends or whatever. Like, I just don't really have anything like yeah, that. Yeah. It took me a while to yeah. realize that was part of TikTok and it wasn't just lip syncing and, and dancing. And, and yeah. the minute I realized that, I was like, oh, there's a bunch of comics I know that have more people coming to their shows now because of TikTok. 
Right. Yeah. Which is like, am I going to miss out on this? Just like that YouTube craze that I thought would go away. <laughs> that you thought would blow over. <laughs> I know. I also, when someone was telling me, you, you should really get on TikTok, I was like, I don't want to do a bunch of like torso dances. I, I torso don't want to do dances. that. It's all just torso. <laughs> These children, they don't have a hip to shake to save their life in this generation. And so they're just flailing their arms. And I was like, yeah. I can't do that. Um, but then I realized it was a good spot for... Uh, BTS stuff for Star Trek because there's so much cute shit that happens that we do with Star Trek that I was like, oh, this is a place to put this and I can just mm-hmm. make it that and not worry about it. And I also look at it about once a week. So I feel like we've reached a we've reached a stasis, me and TikTok. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. For Are you multiple characters on that? It's an animated Star no. Trek show, right? Forgive me, yeah. I don't know much about it. Yeah, uh, it's Star Trek Lord Dex, and it is, yeah, we're the first um, Star Trek comedy. We're the first animated comedy, and uh, we're starting season three. That drops, like, this week, depending on when people hear it. Um, but no, I mainly just play Mariner, and then occasionally there will be, like, a little alien somewhere that— our showrunner's like, do you got like a weird voice for this little guy? We didn't cast this. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, Gotta love fun. an animated job, man. Oh, I'm, I love it. I love so it. So good. Yeah, that's another way I'm so envious of you. It's the sweetest gig ever. I don't know it why really I always is. say you show up in your sweatpants. I don't know why that seems so luxurious <laughs> to me. You I don't know, have you- to worry about the pants. <laughs> you don't have to worry about the pants. People aren't thinking about the pants. I yes. have noticed like... My footwear is really important in there, though. I have to be very comfortable because you are kind of like standing and I can get a little lock need because I'm like staying there for four hours just screaming at a fast mm. pace. <laughs> but other than that, there's no other like wardrobe requirements. Um, what's wild is a couple of us from Lower Decks just got to, they just like announced this. So I, I'm new to being able to talk about it because it's been such a secret for so long. But they just put a couple of us in the live action show, Strange New Worlds. So we got wow. to like, bring our animated characters to life and I got to like put on the uniform and do it for real. And that was fucking weird because I'm used to just standing in a booth and flailing and being in my sweatpants. And so yeah. to suddenly be like, I'm in the uniform and I have to think about how I stand and the badge and everything. It was, it was a trip, but it was really fun. Yeah, that is so <laughs> exciting. That's, I wonder, was the director like, were you getting a specific kind of note about your performance that had, that was reflective of your voiceover yeah. performance? So the director was um, Jonathan Frakes, who for any Trekkies know as Riker. So we were mm-hmm. like geeked out. I mean, I'm a lifelong Trekkie, so I was geeked the hell out when I heard that it was Frakes doing it. And so we had a couple meetings before we started rolling, and he was just like, you know, we want to like figure out the tone because Strange New Worlds is very much like a an adventure Star Trek show. They're they are funny, but they're not outright a comedy. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to come in here just like a cannon of bits, a water cannon of bits and jokes and like bulldoze over their kind of delicate show. So we kind of had to like figure out the pace and everything. But I think it found a really good place under his direction because he's he's so Star Trek and he's so funny, and that whole cast is funny and great. So yeah, it was it was an adjustment, but I think we worked it out. I don't know. We'll see in 2025 or whenever the hell it, it comes <laughs> yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Having a job like that with with a Star Trek is probably scary because the fans are so watching hard and they're so 
dedicated. Yeah. It's like a whole scene that you're. Uh, I I would hate to mess that up. I I in my mind I would feel like oh they're gonna see right through me and I'm not gonna be trekky enough for the fans. Oh, I mean, I'm. I guess I'm a little lucky because I'm just as bad as they are. So I'm That's like, great. bring it, bring it, you bunch of yeah. nerds. I am you. <laughs> You're not gonna point out anything I didn't already send my showrunner a feverish midnight email about being like, um, oh, the continuity doesn't make sense because in Deep Space Nine this happened. Do That's y'all, great. <laughs> do y'all have anything like that? Are you like Star Wars heads or Marvel heads? Do you have like a fandom? I'm not. And I, it's weird. Uh, I'm always surprised that I'm not into comic books because I draw that way. I'm an illustrator and I like that style of drawing. And I've never once owned a comic book. Like I, people always assume that I'd be into the Marvel world, but I'm just, I, I'm not. I, yeah. I should be. Maybe I, it's never too late to get into I'm comic books. I'm not trying books. to convince you. I don't, I, I don't need I'm, you to be into comics. After we're done recording, just because I'm getting all this heavy pressure from you, I'm going to go to a comic book store. It's really important to me as a Thank real you. comic head myself. I knew that's why you asked. <laughs> but Chris, you would say, wouldn't you say that you are that way about skateboarding? Yes. And skateboarders? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah I nerd out. Actually... The other day, I would, and it was so embarrassing because I just went to Walgreens to get toilet paper and they did that thing where they just add the handles to my 24 pack of toilet paper. I'm just walking with it like a briefcase uh-huh. out in public, <laughs> middle of the day. Not yep. that people don't assume we all have <laughs> bowel movements, but you don't like to parade it around. Like You don't yeah. briefcase it. Yeah, yeah, you don't briefcase it. Keep that at home. Keep that I was wearing, home. Yeah. I was wearing Sweet. a suit too. All business. <laughs> And, and a monocle? Where'd you get that monocle? I, that was weird. <laughs> yes, yes. I go, I go period with my uh with my business people. <laughs> but I heard this voice. I was like, ooh, is that Chris Fairbanks? And I looked, it was a car full of kids. And uh P Rod, Paul Rodriguez, the comedian's son, is a big time pro skater that skates. He has his own Nike shoe and he's very successful uh skateboarder. And he was in the car and he said, is that Chris? And I nerded out in a way that I don't think I would have if it was uh, whatever. Why do I just always say John Hamm as the example? Uh, <laughs> or, you know, or a comedian that I look up to or any, but sure. the 15-year-old in me, when I saw it was P-Rod, I, I really nerded out and got very excited. And I finally found a place to brag about it right here. So I'm glad I that- love that. <laughs> yeah, this is the place. I like when somebody, I like when you have a like, the person that makes you freak out is not in your industry. I think that's right. cool. Yeah. Yes. And it, oddly, he is sort of connected because his dad has been a stand-up forever. And I'm, I'm, I used to work for a show where we'd interview skateboarders and snowboarders, and, and they were both on it together. P-Rod Sr., or Paul Rodriguez Jr. and Sr. together. So th- I guess that's how he knows me, but I was very surprised that in traffic... Uh, it was. It just made me feel really cool. And yes, in the nerdiest way possible, I got very excited. And I wanted to tell people. And uh, again, thank you for giving me that chance right now. <laughs> I'm here to provide you with a platform. That's thank what you. I came here to do today. Thank you. Really well done. Thank you. Really, really thank good you. job. Thank you. Thanks He's, for hosting this. I will no add problem. That well, that's been my show. You can catch <laughs> us every Wednesday. <laughs> Making other people feel good about themselves. Thank you. Catch us every Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> right here on uh-huh. Do You Need a Ride? Uh-huh. <laughs> 
yeah, have you thought about turning this into a multicam? Do you want to just? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Great. I think that's. I think that will be best. That's the next us. move. Chris, I kind of wanted your anecdote to end with you getting so excited for seeing P. Rod and him saying your name that you then shat on the sidewalk and then opened up your <laughs> toilet paper. Yeah, I got it. I work with opened what up I'm, your briefcase. Yeah, I mean, I'm holding these. I might as well. You no. I just looked at him and held it up and said, "So embarrassing!" And then they all drove off <laughs> laughing. So it worked out. It worked out. I got a yes. laugh. And they drove good. off, but yeah. Okay, good. Uh, oh, yeah. that's awesome. It's very, it, and he actually seemed happy to have spotted me. It really, uh, I don't know if I mentioned that. He had pure joy. Do in you his follow voice. him on social media? I no, feel like this might I did what about a message DM him or later and said it was great to see you out in the streets. <laughs> you oh, did? Yeah, that's good. he replied. So now we have a little pen pal thing going. Anyway, okay. you know, enough about okay. me and P Rod. Wow. No, that's really cool. Look, see, you put yourself out there. Right? Yep. And then, Maybe we should try to book him on this. Uh, the thought had crossed my mind. He's very funny. He's actually on a show called... He was on that, that biopic about Selena. Oh. He was like a member of her band, and he's starting to act in things. So I know him to be an interesting, funny person. So we'll talk huh. later about other guests. Yeah, let's not do it in front <laughs> no. of our current guest. That's no, I'll, I'll call, Karen. I'll book him. <laughs> okay. You That'll come back for when he's on. Yes. yes. I'll produce yeah. the segment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. You know, it's funny. I Because I was trying to think of if I had an answer to your question of being like a super fan of something. And this might be my negative mind and the way I process the world around me. But I always think of the things like that that were forced on me by others. So like I had a college roommate who was obsessed with The Next Generation. So I've sure. seen all of them. And she also had her nerd friends over who all also were obsessed with it. And they would like watch it and fight and you know, have these sure. insane discussions. And we, the other roommates, we would literally leave the house. <laughs> like if that, if it was the night it was on. Yeah. When it was in syndication, I feel like it was on a weekend night, like maybe a Saturday or Sunday night. Maybe and when you were we like would watching all just on be like, or something, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, let's get out of here and go to Denny's while those yeah. guys nerd <laughs> out. And just, our, they were so intense. And there'd be like 12 people sitting around the TV, like, it was really, it all, of course, pre-TiVo, pre-anything. So it was like, you have to watch it real time. You have to watch it as yep. it comes on or you'll miss it permanently. Um, so I I had a, I have a lot of the like viewing experience as if I've been a fan mm -hmm. of a lot of things. Because also like my ex-husband was a cameraman when Chris was interviewing skateboarders on red carpet. So like, I feel like there's a bunch of things I know about like, mm. a, like a devoted fan, but only because I've been forced to yeah. <laughs> watch them by yeah. the people that I lived with. You're describing kind of a non-consensual fandom. Like you're <laughs> describing yeah. kind of a secondhand fandom that was not your choice. And yeah, I have, I sorry. feel it's very little sister- you know what I mean? Like, you don't get the remote control, so you'll just watch Three's Company because that's what your sister picked or yeah. whatever. There's a lot of that kind of passive, like, oh, well, this won't be worth getting hit with a brush over, so forget it. I'll yep. just let it. this be the decision. And yeah. I would, if you, if you didn't let me occasionally bring up skateboarding on this podcast, you know I'd be coming after you with that brush. That's true. <laughs> it just would be serious. <laughs> have to let people have their way. 
Yeah, I can't think of I can't think of anything. Nothing you're a super fan about. Like, are you are you a cook? Are you a I don't know why I got to get at this. I, I got to like <laughs> find the thing that you're like, you know what I could annoy someone to death about is this. You know what it is? And it's, I mean, I it's not like a, it's not that interesting, but it just, I really love British television. Oh, we talking like a, like a Marcella, like a broad church, like a, are you being served? What are we talking? <laughs> all of it, true range. Like I could talk about all three of those shows right now. Oh, I was actually it. making a joke to somebody the other day about how I can tell, um, like on Prime where all the shows are listed by the network or the app that they're from. And there's a couple of those that they don't just have British shows. So there's like Brit Box or Acorn, mm-hmm. but they don't just have British shows. They also have Australian shows. And I know which ones are Australian on site. Yes. And I was bragging. I truly didn't realize I was trying to brag. And then as I was saying it, I was like, what's the point of talking about this right now? <laughs> and because Kyle, who's the, a guy I work with, who I was telling it to goes, wow, that's cool. And then I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, this might be like the final step of like, um, you know, COVID personality yes. problem where it's like, I actually said that like it's interesting and it is not. Yes, it oh, is not I know, I know that feeling so well where I have been explaining <laughs> something about Star Trek or something about some obscure band thing that I learned that I'm like, surely the person across from me wants to know these details and they want to know the details behind the details and how I came by the details. And then their response is always just like, wow, okay. And that yeah. tone... <laughs> Makes me want to just, I want to fold into myself like a stray sock and just hide because yeah, they didn't want it. I would rather, <laughs> I would rather they be like, shut the fuck up. Or, yeah. <laughs> well, now that you mentioned that, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna keep an eye out. But like, trying basically trying to, um, it's almost like trying to recenter the conversational. <laughs> yeah vibe of uh-huh. out of your weirdness and back up here to normal. That's yeah. kind of how it feels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, cool. oh, I didn't realize. Okay. And then just like, shoot, I did it again. Yeah. Like they're trying to have <laughs> yeah. like a little palate cleanser. They're trying to take a quick little <laughs> shot of coffee just to kind of, <laughs> yeah. all right, let's get back to yeah. something we all know and care about. And want to talk about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I get that a lot. And you know, I don't know that I'm going to stop. Yeah, I don't. don't. Please don't. Yeah, don't ever stop. Right? Well, because then we won't have podcasts. I mean, that's essentially what podcasts are. That is what a podcast is, is the thing that you can't bother your friend with in person. You do into a (laughs) microphone. Yep. Were you just a guest on Yo, Is This Racist? And then, did I read that correctly? Then Andrew asked to join you. That's a sign that you were a very good guest. (laughs) Ah, I Uh, didn't know it. (laughs) Right? Maybe. I think she is a good guest so far. Hey, I know. Thanks, I, what, I'm, what I'm driving at is, will you please take my place on Do You Need a Ride? Chris! I've run no. out of stories, Karen. You and I both know it. <laughs> no, you have stories, Glory. You're still writing stories every day. I'm every just day rewording them. Ones. I'm rewording That's old okay. ones. But, you know, I've done the research. 12% of every podcast is going, you know, I may have told this story before, but... <laughs> and that's just, we have to accept that's that. So it's okay. Because there's it's new true. listeners every day. Um, yeah, I was a guest. Andrew and I became friends. And then I was kind of like popping off a lot on Twitter. And I think he was like tired because he'd been doing the show for so long by himself. And, you know, it's a tricky like needle to thread because it's a comedy show. We take voicemails. But like 
So he would always be alone and then having a guest come on. And depending on the energy of the guest, y'all know how that can go. Right. It's just not always like a vibe. And so when you're talking about something tricky like racism and trying to be funny, yeah. not always having a vibe just didn't make for the most fun experience for him. Or, and it would be mm-hmm. exhausting to ride that line. Yeah. And I, yes. that is what I read is he said, I'm tired. Will you help come and join me and help me be less <laughs> tired? Join me. Yeah, that's, basically. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. So now we kind of just, you know, we do it together and we don't always have guests. And we have like a little, we have a very lovely friendship together where I'm just like happy to talk to my friend each week and then marginally sad that it has to be about racism. But, you know, (laughs) at least we get to hang. And is that podcast, I mean, I feel like it's been around a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Has it, when did it start? Do you know offhand? Sorry to ask a question like that. No, that's okay. I don't know the date. Maybe it was like 2012 or 13, he might have started. Yeah. It might have been longer oh, yeah. ago than that. And then I joined in like 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was going to ask, but I didn't want to ask uh, if you if it hadn't been that long. But I felt like I'd remembered it like, oh, that's kind of one of those stalwart podcasts that like it, it started and it really caught fire and people really liked that it was getting, that that kind of a conversation was getting airtime because it's like, finally, mm. it's not white people talking about, we've decided racism is over right. or we've decided <laughs> this is okay. And this it was finally like people themselves, you know, of people of color, of an experience actually being the ones leading the discussion. And I was just going to ask, do you feel like the discussion changed when we were all in quarantine and when the Black Lives Matter protests happened and those the big movement really kind of started to see some real like right and real and, movement real effects and and racism has sort of been on parade in the last couple years. I love uh, that Rage Against the Machine song. <laughs> yeah, anytime I can <laughs> so squeeze in a rage lyric. <laughs> no, um, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it, it you know, it kind of goes in waves of like people's attention, kind of wanting to talk about these things. But definitely in the summer of 2020, I mean, we saw a spike in listenership. So we yeah. were like, oh, cool, nice to be, you know, wartime profiteers. That feels great. Um, (laughs) But it was like, uh, what we did notice was that, because, you know, we're comedians primarily. We're not experts. We're not like DEI, diversity inclusion specialists or whatever. So we very much come from the place of like, we're just talking about our perspective and our experience. Then we bring guests on to speak from their experience. We answer these wild ass voicemails that are literally things like a white guy calling in and saying, the Taco Bell near me only gives me mild sauce. Are they being racist to me? because I'm white. <laughs> oh and my then, God. you know, then it ranges to more serious shit too. But what we noticed, what I noticed is that there was much more willingness and openness to have some of these conversations amongst white folks. Like the conversations that I would previously just kind of keep in a in a black and brown group chat, suddenly though like white producers I worked with on set were wanting to talk about these things. And after the initial like gag for me of being like, um, why is this, why is this lady I work for coming up and wanting to talk to me about, you know, uh, wealth inequalities and gender pay gap and shit like that. Then I was like, great, you want to talk about it? Let's, let's dive in. And so it's definitely felt like more acceptable to have these conversations like out loud and, and to have more fun with them too, because I think that's also important is to not always have the conversation in like a sit down, scary, you know, HR meeting type of way. Like sometimes you got to just be able to, yes. you got to be able to do the goofs. <laughs> For sure. Well, and I feel like that is such a, 
a great point to make of like, I think people want to go to the place where they can hear about experiences or stories or call-ins or whatever. And then, and just hear other people kind of uh, theorizing or saying what they, they personally think, but a you know, no one's an expert without that thing of, I feel like what I really was fascinated by because we were all kind of at home and just staring at our phones and our TVs and stuff. But that idea that there would be these trends where it's like you were supposed to have already known this Mm. and you could tell Mm. that there was certain white people. And I think it's probably the white people who actually really give a shit who would be real reactive. So it's like, remember that thing on... um, there was some day where everyone on Instagram just made their icon black and just like yeah. blacked out everything. And, and all the activists are like, what are you doing? Who thought of this? This is the worst idea. Yeah. But it already gone. So everyone kind of did it because they thought this is what we're quote unquote supposed to do. But they were doing it based on kind of like a social media rumor. Clogging. And in, yeah, clogging yes. what could have been information. <laughs> yes. And yeah. like, it was just things like that where I started watching or there was one where... Someone, and I think these were troll moves, but who can ever say? There was one where it was like, white women always pick, you know, like the actual people emojis. They're like, they're always picking white people for their people emojis or whatever. So uh-huh. then you just watched every white person only use yellow, the yellow first one that you right. pick. Like the Simpsons one, yeah. Like, <laughs> right. And also like that is going to impact fucking like on the ground racism. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. that thing of like, everyone wants it to be that simple. Yeah. Of like, oh no, see, I use the right emoji. <laughs> I'm off the hook. I'm doing good. That is funny. We do get a surprising amount of calls about those emoji colors. When those emoji colors rolled out, <laughs> people were shook. People are confused. We get biracial people. I'm biracial. I identify as black because as my dad told me when I was a child, don't nobody care about your white side. You look black. Um, so <laughs> I I use like a, a real a median color. But we get biracial people who call in and they'll be like, I, my friend told me that the color I'm using is too dark. Am I trying to pass for lighter? Blah, blah, blah. And then we get white people that call in and they're like, I'm uncomfortable by all of it. I just want to put the blackest one on there. And we're like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> so I feel like I feel like our show is the good kind of like low stakes area for people to hash out those things that are bothering them. Because you're right. It doesn't mean that it's going to lead to a reduction in police brutality against black and brown people. Or maybe in some incremental, tiny way of just everybody getting more comfortable with these conversations. Maybe it does. Um, But yeah, no, we're not heroes. We're a comedy show. And truly, the voicemails are so wild. I can't, I forever am so grateful that Andrew manages that inbox and that I don't have to dig (laughs) in there and just listen to the absolute trash that people Mm -hmm. leave in there. What a nightmare. (laughs) No. What? Yeah. Do you think that guy was being sincere about the Taco Bell packets? Yes. Really? He was. He was distressed. He was like, I just, I don't want to call them out, but like, they're doing this to me and I want spicy sauce. (laughs) Just say it then. Uh, He didn't want to. He can't say. Oh, we get a lot of scared whites. We get a lot of scared (laughs) whites that are worried. They don't want to tell a brown person, et cetera. You know, it's it's a lot of that too. I want to hear more of them. What are some other memorable voicemails that. I mean, every Christmas we get the like the Zvarty Pete, you know, the blackface Santa, the Netherlands yep. blackface Santa ones. Yeah. And those are just like, yeah, this sucks. I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> we get a lot of like, my white coworker always wants to bring up the fact that she has a black husband. How do I gently tell her as a fellow white person? Like, nobody wants to hear this. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of like, that's a good one. 
yeah. navigating little weird stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I hear these voicemails and they go into like a file in my brain that's like, once you're done with this podcast, you never need to think about this again. So it <laughs> self-destructs or something. <laughs> that's, uh. So you just uh, talk after they've left the voicemail. It's never in person with these people that you have to respond. No, you know, the only time we've done that is is in our live shows. We've just we've been doing a couple live shows this summer, and we'll invite people to come up to the mic and be brave. And uh, the, with this one in Minneapolis recently, this man. Uh, first of all, I roasted him so hard because he said, <laughs> my girlfriend's mom, you know, she's like an older lady. She's Gen X. And I was like, I want to punch you in the fucking face. <laughs> first of all, your girlfriend's mom is Gen X? I don't want to know. Um, <laughs> I don't want to do this math right now. Um, but he was like, yeah, she she won't say Spike Lee joint because she thinks as a white lady, that's racist. <laughs> And we had to, like, parse whether or not this Gen X lady was allowed to say Spike Lee joint. I'm like, man, man, it's good to think about things, but, like, some of y'all just think too hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is really digging the bottom of the... And as a Gen X person, there was... I feel like back then when no one talked about anything and literally there would be articles that would come out in the paper of, like, we're post-racist America. There was all kinds of, like, crazy... It, you know, uh, kind of corporate declarations of, thank God, now that Barack Obama's the president, we never have to worry about racism again. Like that kind of shit where like yeah. there were people who cared and were paying attention where it's like, yeah, where is your, where does the good sense end and oh. hypersensitivity for being one of the only people representing that kind of, even it's light attention, yeah. yeah, that uh, that's a Spike Lee joint where it's like, if it says it on the movie poster, aren't you allowed yeah. to say it? I like, think you can say it, lady. Lady. She was scared. She was so <laughs> nervous. People be nervous these days, you guys. People don't want to get stuff wrong. People don't want to, I mean, with everything, with everything. Do you feel that? Because now y'all are veterans at this, at talking and at being yourselves on, on a microphone. Do you? Has that gone away for you? You know, sometimes you get a guest on who's like, very nervous about what they're saying and how they're presenting themselves. Do y'all just feel like your audience understands you and you're chill with it now? I always think there's, I, I can screw things up. I'm not, I'm never that (laughs) comfortable. I still get nervous before I sit down to do this. And I think Mm. it comes from a healthy place, but yeah, I'm not, no, I'm not comfortable. (laughs) And I still get (laughs) very nervous to do. You seem so comfortable. Is that, is that, though, because you want to be funny? Because that's, like, a different anxiety, right? Like Yes. And that a lot of it is coming from there. Like, yeah. I, when I... Or when I'm trying to be funny and I just trample over Karen saying something thoughtful. I've been... No, I've, <laughs> we've already talked about that a bunch. But I'm like, <laughs> I will try and get a joke out at all, by all means necessary. And that includes uh, interrupting uh, my co-host yeah. and or guest. But, well, that's 25 years of stand-up comedy green room experience that doesn't go away yeah. just because we're all on a Zoom. Yeah. It would be, I also think it would be different if we were all in the same studio right now. Like the interrupting thing I feel like is Zoom related very yes. much because none of us have a sense. We have to anticipate like three seconds ahead where if we were sitting around each yeah. other, we would know when somebody else wanted to talk. We would feel it. Yeah, Yeah, I can hear you. When we're in the car, I can hear you inhale as if about to speak. 
<laughs> you know, there's little. There's so little should we tell. be doing a heavier inhale? Yeah, yeah. Just get right up on the mic okay. if you want to say something. <gasps> oh. <laughs> no, me first. <laughs> <laughs> Loudest inhale first. Well, and also I think having my favorite murder from my experience, having my favorite murder where we had no fucking clue what we were doing, and we suddenly got big and we're talking about very um, sensitive things insensitively or just kind of like not realizing. And it wasn't, it wasn't, um, most of it wasn't race related because most serial killers are usually the ones we were talking about are white straight men. So it was more around like, do you even understand the topic and the subject of what you're saying, the sensitivity, the reality of it, which we didn't. And so we heard back immediately from the beginning of that podcast in such an intense way that I think we learned a lesson that I then was able to just kind of carry through, which is that you have to be in a willing to learn in your whole life. You're never the final expert. You never know best, no matter what position you're in. Mm -hmm. You always have to be able to hear from a random person on the internet and go, I really need to think about that. Even And for some people, that is the worst thing that they could possibly do. But I was like, oh yeah, being a comic and built, like the kind of people that I think I like and that I spend my time with are comics. That they're the kind of people that keep an open mind always because that's best for creativity. Mm. So like if somebody wants to tell you about something that you're doing, you would, like my dog Frank, who really wants me to let him back into the he room and be on the podcast. You need to he listen. Wants, <laughs> you need to listen to Frank's sensitivity. But I mean like that's, it's like this, it's the lesson we're all learning like together as society almost, because social media, where it's like suddenly a bunch of people get to talk that you were speaking for before that didn't want you speaking for them. Mm. But you didn't even have to know that before as a white person. You could just be like, hooray, racism's over. <laughs> I'll never forget Remember that. Remember the parade? <laughs> <laughs> we had a parade. It was great. And That's we felt so much better after it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, I think about that like balancing act. I feel I feel like it's a balancing act for me in terms of like being uh, open and remembering that I need to listen to folks and having sensitivities to that, but also having a real knee-jerk reaction that comes from the trauma of being a woman on the internet and having like yeah. comments that are usually just men telling me I'm wrong about some Star Trek thing or about oh, no. some, you know, Rolling Stones thing that I posted or whatever. Oops. I'm dropping things. Um, and so then there's that very like... She's pissed. Yeah. I'm, I'm going real She-Hulk in here. Just absolutely <laughs> trashing my house. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a weird thing where sometimes I have to really take a pause when I get a Twitter comment that's like correcting me in some way because I really have to examine like, where is this coming from? Is this just someone dying to be right about some minor detail that they're usually wrong about, especially if it's from one of those topics I just said. All the people correcting me on Star Trek are so often wrong that it just makes me, I'm like, what do you think, what do you think I sit around to do? Not rewatch yeah. the series and <laughs> right. work for the franchise and host the official <laughs> podcast? What do you think I do? But anyway. Oh, yeah. it'll be like they're correcting something using Google later on that yeah. you say off the top of your head <laughs> during the podcast. Right. That's always my favorite. I've done a little research and I'm here to let you know. <laughs> yeah, I was I don't do any research as I speak. I just yeah. I don't have that capability. I'm sorry. <laughs> I also am like the first one to be like, I'm not an expert, guys, blah, blah, blah. But then out of the side of my neck, I'm like, but I but I kind of am. L just listen to me. I'm right about this. 
Or I, at least I work for the people who know and I ask them. <laughs> yes. So did you pursue acting on that Star Trek an animated no. series? I didn't know it You just existed. got lucky. Oh, I wow. I got lucky. It was an audition. It was a little voiceover <laughs> oh, audition. That's, that's so perfect. It was great, yeah, because it had a little code name, so I didn't know it was Star Trek. And I never thought Star Trek would do a comedy because it's always mm-hmm. so, right. you know, it's these, like, morality plays about being yeah. human. Yeah. And um, at the time, the Star Trek shows in existence were Star Trek Discovery, and I believe Picard maybe hadn't aired yet, but we knew it was coming. And, uh, yeah, both, like, dramas, like, sci-fi adventure dramas. So when my agent said, oh, by the way, this thing codenamed California Class is actually the new Star Trek animated show, I was like, what? They're doing (laughs) funny Star Trek? Please let me play like an alien. Let me just like be in the corner. I'll do whatever. And so I went in and it was a waiting room full of famous women, just like all the famous comedy women. And I was like, oh, no, goodbye. I'll never (laughs) get anything here. (laughs) And uh, I started to do the sides. And then I made some comment to, the showrunner was in the booth, Mike McMahon. And I made some comment about the sides. I was like, oh, I love that you put in this like reference or whatever, like clearly trying to flex that I was a fan. Uh, Right. I was going to ask if you did that in the audition, like something to to show them that you knew what you were talking about. The, had the material. to because that's great. There's no other. I have no other claim to any other franchise like this. I don't know right. shit about Marvel. I don't know shit about Star Wars. So I was like, right. this is the one place where I can actually be like, wasn't that funny how they made Deanna Troy wear a jumpsuit before they'd give her a uniform? And <laughs> and Mike, the showrunner, was like, wait, are you like a big Star Trek fan? Can you just like improvise a bunch of Star Trek shit at the end of oh, the scene? Oh wow! I was like I sure can, buddy. <laughs> give me the chance. In that moment, were you like, I think I'm getting this? No, I still was concentrating yeah, on all of, of the famous women that I had just been watching on my television yeah. who were sitting in that waiting room. Who um, was in there? Dish. Oh, I'll man. tell you off mic. I don't want to... Because I beat them. I beat them, Chris. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's... But they didn't, um, they didn't give us the script ahead of time. So everyone was in that waiting room frantically trying to read the script. And I got right. there late because it was pilot season. I was miserable. I was coming from like 30 other jobs I wasn't going to get. And so... <laughs> I, I like thumbed through it and the names were all coded differently. So I didn't know like what gender, I didn't know what role anyone was. And I just went in and read for this role. And then like two months later, when my agent said I got it, I was like, oh my God, that's really cool. I get to be like part of this world. And I was excited, but it wasn't until the table read, I showed up to the table read and saw that my script was in the center of the table that I realized I was the lead of the show. The lead. That's so... I lost that's right. my mind. I was that's so yes. trying to play it cool, but I was like, wait, what? How? What? Was, so yeah. I'm sorry. Before it. you walked into the huge conference room where everybody is on the first day of a table read, which if you haven't, and most people haven't, it's really one of the most thrilling and exciting and kind of like inside show business experiences because... Everybody that works on the show is sitting in chairs around the table. And then there's a table, some sort of table configuration with the cast acting out like the the pilot episode or the first episode. Yeah. So everybody shows up to kind of watch this, like, here we go. And you're telling me that in that room is where you found out you got the lead of this. Yeah. You thought yeah. maybe it was one of those crazy. alien voices on the side or something like you know, I think I knew she was a regular and I, I was like, this is great. I'm like in the crew somewhere, but I hadn't been given a script and I didn't know. I just didn't know. And 
it's funny that like literally in the center of the table was my script. And then right next to it uh, was the script for the person playing Boimler, who is now my good friend, Jack Quaid. And we we kind of both looked at each other like, wait, are we like important to this thing? Because I think he had the same moment of like, oh, I don't know. I'm like in this thing. I'm doing, you know, he'd, he'd worked some, but Jack is younger than me. And I don't know that he had had as many like voiceover type jobs. I I hadn't really either, but I think he was like a little astounded too. And we both were kind of like, I think we're like the top, I think we're co-leading this. I I don't know. It was so exciting. I love that. Yeah. That's so exciting. And it was two months late. Like that's a long time to wait, it seems like, but I don't have that much experience with that. Maybe they hired somebody else and she self-destructed, you know, (laughs) just shit the bed, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hey. And that person was Jennifer Garner. (laughs) I'm naming names. I'm here to name those names. She was in the room. (laughs) She was Uh there. (laughs) She had gotten everybody gifts. (laughs) God, everyone loved her, but then Paramount said, nope. That's not said, our girl. Said, what is she doing on <laughs> Get there? Her out of here. <laughs> I remember when that, um, because I believe I follow Mike McMahon on Twitter, and when he started being able to post about the show, um, I kept looking at it because I was like, wait a second, a Star Trek, an animated Star Trek series that's comedy. Like, I couldn't get it through my head of like, wait, then this must be, because I just kept thinking there's no way the Star Trek franchise would let them do this. So this must be some weird rebellion or like, I just kept trying to figure it out. And then I was like, oh no, this is, this is the real deal. Yeah. Yeah, They let him. (laughs) It's amazing. And I've only seen like a lot of the movies from the the Shatner Nimoy era, <laughs> but I sure. remember a lot of what's the one where they get whale the Voyage Home I think they yep. they take Voyage whales home. on giant space that had yep. jokes, lots of jokes and like the oh, there yeah. Hello Computer come on <laughs> <laughs> uh, inspiring radio Radiohead to then oh sorry I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I I feel like there was always a joke or a funny moment in old Star Trek episodes. But yeah. maybe I also don't know what I'm talking about. And I believe I said Trek and not track. <laughs> Once Tig was on and I was like, how long have you been on Star Trek? And she's like, it's uh, Trek. And then I, <laughs> then I was quiet for the rest of the <laughs> Oh, I, that's a perfect... Trek. That's perfect to get that from Tig. What an honor. (laughs) Yeah, no, all that shit was funny. Yeah, yeah, there's good jokes in there. I was just thinking about it. That's another forced fanship from childhood, not just in college. But Star Trek was the show that came on after cartoons, but before the news. So it was like, it was a way we marked time during the day of like right after school, we would watch cartoons and then sometimes it would go into like Three's Company or whatever, the syndicated sitcom. But there was also in the mix in, because it was Channel 2, right? Tawny, did you watch Channel 2? Wait, did we have <laughs> Channel KTVU? 2? I, I don't mean, think like we the, had that. It was too uh, we SF based. We might have been too far out. Too yeah, far out. We had more like Sacramento channels. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah where the fog ends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the TV... Um, signal changes when the fog is gone. Yeah. Well, but we basically, basically, I had a, I think I have a canon uh, knowledge of the first Star Trek 
because we watched it. We would not stop watching TV even if we didn't like what we were watching because you didn't want to stop watching TV. Right. Yeah. So I've seen every single Star Trek of the original series multiple times because right. it was just on Isn't reruns that? on Channel 2 forever and it was on after cartoons. So you're just like, oh, well, we'll wait through this and then the something else good will come on after or whatever. So I like any reference that a fan would make about a different episode, I'd just be like, oh yeah, that one, that weird planet they went to where kids were in charge. Really creepy, <laughs> I remember. Okay. Like I, all of them. <laughs> Actually, I remember that one. That one it's I remember. It's so creepy. For, I really didn't like for that For me, the, the MASH, the, I watched episodes of MASH and that, that theme song, which is so depressing. Uh, yeah. Even without the lyrics, which are indeed depressing. But that meant my parents were coming home it, my mom would start vacuuming immediately. Uh, it was time for me to be told what to do around the house. I had my, I had my couple hours after school before my parents got home and mash that mash theme song meant that was the end of it. And I it's didn't over. want it to end. So I would sit through mash. Yeah. The, the a procedural, I, I've never enjoyed an episode of mash and I think I've probably seen all of them. Oh, <laughs> That is so real. Sitting through something just so that you didn't have to go to bed. I think that's why I watched like all of Married with Children when I was far <laughs> too young to be watching that. Just because I was like, if I don't sit here silently, I'll have to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah. so terrific. So that's Lower Decks. Yes, yes, yes. Paramount so if anyone, Plus. And Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the streaming channel that seems to be coming out ahead these days. Yeah. Is in it? the streaming wars. Who knows? I don't know these streaming wars. Have you all taken up arms and are you prepared to defend your <laughs> yeah. master in the streaming wars? I'm choosing <laughs> Paramount Plus as my master just wow. because Netflix is going into the shitter. Wow, okay. Um, yeah. Their numbers are way down. We yeah. know what happened to HBO Max. That's true. Um, you know, like... I'm, well, they're a, weeding I'm, themselves a, out. I'm an Apple t- uh, TV guy just because there's only 10 shows on there and I feel like I have a nice <laughs> control over... Uh, I've seen everything on it's insane to me that there's I'm like that's it that's all Apple TV and if you're listening Apple TV I'm very sorry I'm not I'm just there's not a lot of shows on there compared you've seen everything you've seen the Fraggle Rock reboot (laughs) of course I started watching it and abruptly stopped (laughs) (laughs) I'm just checking sorry to sorry to be a a well actually guy I just wanted to see what the dozers (laughs) looked like if they were still the same little that was my favorite. The miniature construction workers. Yeah. That was my favorite thing, the dozers. They're real cute. Yeah, they were adorable. I am prepared to defend my Master Paramount Plus, so I will be on the front lines with you, Karen. Nice. Yeah. Okay, good. Because it's, it's the best choice. Is yeah. there anything else coming out? I noticed you're playing Mariah Carey in something, and that got me excited. But you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. It's not. I don't know what that would. That was a favor I did for Paul Shear. Um, he oh, said, can okay. you come to the Valley? Can you come to gotcha. Chatsworth okay. on a 110-degree day and dress as Mariah Carey for 10 <laughs> okay, minutes? Okay, gotcha. So I, I don't know what that a, is. <laughs> I, for all I knew, it was like a biopic. Okay, cool, cool. Well, no, I, you I know, wish. That's, that's what, just a reflection of what good research Annalise does for us, where she's like, here's some interesting things to talk about. Well, that was, yeah, so, yeah I know. And then I try and find my own stuff, and I... I dropped that Mariah Carey steamer there. I'm sorry, everybody. No, it's all good. Look, I wish. If anyone's listening and you have the rights to Mariah Carey's story, um, I am available. I cannot and sing like her, but I will do it. No, you're six. You're six. You're close to seven octaves, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I got at least that's, three. <laughs> that's all I know about Mariah Carey is she is seven octave singer. Three is closer to seven than one. Right? So that you're you're right. It yeah. rounds up. It rounds up. It sure does. Um, no, I just did a few episodes on physical, your favorite on Apple, your favorite streamer. So that yes, was super yeah. fun. Um, but no, other than the uh the the Strange New Worlds crossover episode that I'm super pumped about. Um, yeah, live action track is where it's at, man. I was like, man, if I could just show up to work every day and work on a bridge and b- move fake buttons and sliders <laughs> and stuff, that's a dream. We're pretending that you froze for a second. We're pretending it didn't happen, but I ca- <laughs> I have to address it. I always have to, because we didn't hear what you said, but I <laughs> I just had to say something. Karen, back me up. She was frozen. Yes. And also what she was basically saying, which I think by context clues, now tell me if I'm right or wrong, is that it was really fun to be on the live action Star Trek version that you were doing because you got to actually be on the set. Yeah. And that's the dream. That that was the dream. And you both did pass my test. Thank you for, I do this test with everyone. I intentionally freeze and then I make you suss out what I'm talking about. (laughs) Are you listening? Do you care? You just kept your body very still. That was amazing physical mm-hmm. yeah. comedy work. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was amazing. Thank well, you. I studied also- under Mr. Bean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rowan. <laughs> this was a, I think I would give this a B plus, if not an A plus. Wow. Well, mm-hmm. but yeah, no A minus though. Plus only. Um, I feel like A minus is insulting. It's like yeah, it either is. let's do this thing or let's, yeah. Agreed. You know? Yeah. I'm going to say it was an A. You were terrific, Tony. I yeah, I have not. um, I I don't have a rating system. I'm kind of like more of a Montessori type podcaster. Um, Sure. So I'm just going to give you guys like a yeah, like a sunshine and like a beautiful original song. That's that's how it felt to me. I love I love stickers and and music. And that's what this was. So thank you. (laughs) You've been listening to Do You Need a Ride? D Y N A R. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced by Annalise Nelson. Mixed by John Bradley. Our talent booker is Patrick Kotner. Theme song by Karen Kilgariff. Artwork by Chris Fairbanks. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dynar Podcast. That's D-Y-N-A-R Podcast. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Follow Do You Need a Ride on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you never miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit the exactlyrightstore.com to purchase Do You Need a Ride merch.